0: The rest of us, let's open up to Daniel chapter 4. I'm enjoying the book of Daniel. How about you? Daniel is just, it's a timely book for everything that's going on. Um, If you haven't picked up on the theme yet in Daniel, it is that God is absolutely sovereign over the affairs of mankind. And God is just taking the, uh, the most supreme king on the earth at the time, and he, he's telling him over and over and over through various ways that, that God's in charge. How many of you have been struggling with that lately? That God is actually in charge. He's in charge of what's going on. He's in charge of elections. He's in charge of rulers. He's in charge of everything that's going on. Although things are difficult and difficult, um, they will be until his return. Um, He is sovereign. He is God. He is on his throne. He's not, uh, he didn't wind up the universe and walk away and forget about everything. Everything is happening according to his plan. And what God keeps conveying through the first three chapters of Daniel, where we've been so far, is that um, at God's command, kings rise, kings fall, kingdoms come, kingdoms go, people live, people die, because it's the Most High God who sovereignly controls all he rules and reigns and his rule and his reign and his dominion and his power and his glory will one day be manifested on this earth and it will never end and it will never stop Um, all this though the world will go away and he'll have create a new heavens and a new earth but his kingdom will never end it's coming and it has come it's in our hearts And to have a proper rule, uh, have a proper understanding of his rule, his dominion, his power is what God keeps laying out over and over and over in the book of Daniel in these very powerful ways. And that is continuing on into Daniel chapter four, just to let you know, and it will be the overarching theme until the end of Daniel that God is actually in control. But before we get to Daniel 4, as we have looked at the first three chapters of Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon 2,600 years ago has great difficulty in coming to grips with the fact that actually God is in control. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar is the most powerful king on earth at the time. His rule is vast and he is powerful. He is ruthless. He is brutal. He is in control. He's actually very brilliant. Um, He is a master architect. He's master at military. He's master at organization. He's got an indoctrination program. He's got tons of things going on. He is at the height of his power. And so we saw in chapter one, Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful king, was given a dream by God. And so Daniel miraculously um, is given the ability to not only to know the dream, but to interpret the dream Remember, Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't give anybody the actual dream because he wanted to make sure of the interpretation. So Daniel actually was given the dream and its interpretation. The interpretation basically it outlined the successive kingdoms that would come after Nebuchadnezzar and it would culminate in the return basically of Christ which which we'll get to eventually, but the return of Christ at the end of these kingdoms, he would crush all the other kingdoms and manifest the kingdom of God here in and we see that, and that was revealed to Nebuchadnezzar through a dream. And we know that in that dream, there, it was an image of a man of some sort, and, and it was made of various metals, and there was the head of gold. And we know that that head of gold was a representative of Nebuchadnezzar. And his power, and his dominion, and his glory, and in his rule on earth. And it was supreme at the time. And we know that after clearly being told, Nebuchadnezzar, you are that head of gold that would eventually give away to another kingdom, another kingdom, another kingdom, and then finally the kingdom of God, the everlasting kingdom of God would come and rule. And so uh, that is being told. To him. The, the very dream that he had was being told to him and, and interpreted to him, and he's just in awe of the fact that there is a God that would be able to do that. But nevertheless, we just get to chapter 3. You get out of chapter 1, you go through chapter 2, you're in chapter three. Within, 3. within a very short time, we see that Nebuchadnezzar goes ahead and he takes that idea of the head of gold and he just goes ahead and blows it up and he builds a 90-foot statue of gold in the desert. And under the threat of death calls everybody who's in charge of all the lands he's conquered to come down to this the dedication ceremony while they were under the threat of death, bow down and worship that image, which is representative of him, of his glory, of his power, and his dominion. And, and here we see King Nebuchadnezzar goes outside of his authority and starts to usurp his authority and take the position of, of the most high God and to receive worship and praise and honor how quickly he is forgetful his pride overwhelms him he chooses to forego his place and he exalts himself in the place of God does that sound familiar you see this pride that seeks to exalt oneself is in the heart of each of us it's what we fight against it's what we're fighting against every single day where we have all these voices telling us to rise up and these are your rights and this is what you should do and you need to overthrow this and tear that down and and you need to stand up for blah, 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 blah. I mean, just whatever side you want to listen to, they're telling you that you are the chief of everything and it's all about you. We are in the throes of a political season. And even if we weren't, the world is still screaming at you through advertisement, through everything else. I mean, just watch NFL, flip it on, you're gonna see a bunch of guys at the height of their thing saying, I'm the man, right? But pride is the root of all sin. It really is. Pride that seeks to exalt itself above, well, basically, to usurp God's authority, we might not say, "I am I'm King Nebuchadnezzar, and I'm not usurping God," but we, we, we push off God's word, and we put what we want, our will, above above His will. And when we do that, we are, exhi- we are exhibiting pride. Can't help it; it comes out of us. Look at our kids. The first thing that you really notice, besides, okay, they're, they're you know, they're alive and they're moving around and great and all that great stuff is it's all about them, right? Kicking, screaming, they want stuff, it's me. And we have to teach them to deny themselves lest they grow up to be a nation of people that uh, is living for themselves and tears down everything until they get what they want. Oh, wait, we're there. Pride always chooses self above God. Adam and Eve chose self above God in the garden under the influence of Satan, who was the chief usurper of all. Remember, Adam and Eve, they succumbed, they, they pushed away the word of God and they brought in the lie of Satan. The word of God was that in the day that you should eat this, you shall die. And all this is good, but this is not. Do not go down that road. And Satan goes, that's the road you want to go down because God's hiding something from you. He's hiding goodness and all these types of things. They chose what would be self-fulfilling over what God said. And really, that's where pride originated originally, from Satan. Satan, this uh, satanic, very powerful being, obviously Satan is is his kind of description, deceiver, but his name was Lucifer. Powerful fallen angel. We kind of get a window into eternity past in Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. You can flip there if you want. But it just gives a description, basically, a window into Lucifer, why he fell. And it says, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. Describing this angel. How you are cut down to the ground. You who laid low uh, the nations, you said in your heart, and here's what we want to focus on, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God, above all the angels of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the height of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. You see, I, 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 I. What is this world teaching us to do? We're climbing to the what? We're being taught to climb to the top so that we can put our names on a building or whatever it might be. Our names are exalted instead of His. It's in our DNA. Where do you think this DNA is from? It's not about humility. It's about pride we see it in our leadership we see it probably in me we see it in other places we're fallen the five i wills of lucifer there pride was lucifer's undoing ezekiel twenty-eight seventeen speaks of lucifer as well it says your heart was proud because of your beauty and corrupted because of your wisdom for the sake of your splendor i cast you to the ground Pride hardly ever deals with character. It always deals with superficial stuff. About you, not about others. If it is about others, it's about how others see you. See, Lucifer was cast out of heaven because of his pride. He sought to exalt himself in the place of God. We we must search our hearts. And ever since the the fall, mankind has been filled with pride. We struggle with it every day. It's self-exalting pride. And here's something we need to remember and be keenly aware of, church, if we're moving to the New Testament. James 4 6 through 7 warns us and says, God opposes the proud, but he gives what? Grace to the humble. What's the next verse? Submit yourselves, therefore, to what? To God. And resist the who? Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. You see, God is in opposition to the prideful. God is at war with the prideful. God resists the proud. He's in a resistance against the proud. That is, he's against that spirit. Those who like to exalt themselves like the devil. That's why James tells believers to resist the devil we're resisting the devil. What does the devil want to tempt you to do? Whatever you want. <laughs> he wants you to be king because that is going against the lordship of God. You see, when we come to Jesus Christ, we don't he isn't just saving us from our sins. He's becoming what of our life? What is that word? Lord. Sovereign Lord of your life. That means an unconditional surrender to his lordship. You're signing over everything. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The one who says, I've got nothing and it's all yours. You're not only my savior, but you're my Lord. My life is yours. James says, God Resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And that is what God was towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in chapter 3. They chose to remain submitted to God humbly and not bow to the fear of everything else, but they remained submitted to the Lord very difficult. They remained humble before God, not bowing before the king's idol, but bowing before the true king of kings, the Lord of lords. And what did God do? He delivered them. God delivers those who are poor in spirit, who are humble, who humble themselves before God That's a theme that goes all through scripture. I won't go into it too much, but it was actually through that deliverance in chapter three that God again shows Nebuchadnezzar that he is not in charge. King Nebuchadnezzar said to these guys, unless you jump in, they had defied it. I got to go back. They said they weren't going to jump in. All the rulers of the land said they would. They didn't because they wanted to honor God rather than serve the king. And the king says, no one's going to save you out of my hands. No, God's going to save you out of my hands. I'm throwing you into the fire basically. And he did and God rescued them. They weren't burned. It was, it was a total deliverance. And through that, Nebuchadnezzar was blown away again in his pride, thinking that he was the chief god, and his execution orders were going to be the chiefest in all the land. God showed him once again, you're not chief, Nebuchadnezzar. And yet, even after that, even after the revelation of the future of the world, after God delivered these people and he saw an angel in the burning bush uh, i the burning bush in the in the flaming fire right he sees him and god's uh, david pride still wells up any of you struggle with with that god's humbled you you know he's god you know he's ruler but all of a sudden you know a year later you're back on the throne of your life you forget and that moves us to chapter 4 God gives the king one final lesson in humility. In chapter 4, and this time it seems to have changed Nebuchadnezzar so much so that in verse 1, he's writing a letter to the whole kingdom. He's writing a letter to everybody. He says, "This, this changed me so much. I want you all to know, talk about humility. This is how I was changed after he encountered the God." So let's get uh, encounter God. So let's get into it. Daniel 4 Verse 1, and we're going to do a large chunks of reading, not a lot of explanation in certain parts, so just kind of beware. It's more of a narrative. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Guy had a massive kingdom. Uh, Please be, uh, peace be multiplied to you. It, It seemed good to me to show you the signs and the wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great his signs, how mighty his wonders, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. So that's his opening uh, salvo to the nation, and he describes what actually happened to him in these signs and wonders in Revelations, verse 4, and one, la- it's more specific here. He says, uh, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace, I saw a dream that made me afraid, and I lay in bed as the the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. And so I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of my dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, those are the wise men, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. Verse 8, at last, Daniel came in before me. He who was named Belshazzar after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O oh, Belshazzar, chief of the, musicians, uh, sorry, yeah, the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the vision of my dream that I saw, and their interpretation. So it's basically a re- repeat of chapter 1. Remember chapter 1, he has a dream, no one could figure it out, all the wise guys couldn't do it but Daniel could. And twice, if you notice, both in verses eight and nine, there's a distinction that he makes about Daniel. Daniel is identified as having what? The spirit of the holy gods by Nebuchadnezzar. That's what he says. He's the one who has the spirit of the holy gods. Now that's just a pagan king's way of saying that the spirit of God dwells in that guy. There's something different about him. And it's interesting that the Holy Spirit in Isaiah 11, if you flip over to Isaiah 11, this is kind of a description of, a, of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit or the character, the attributes, more accurately, uh, is, it's, it talks about the fullness of the Spirit. And, and the context is that uh, when the Spirit comes uh, upon, upon the, well, it says that the Messiah basically will have all these, the, the fullness of the Spirit upon him when he comes. But in that we see a description of of the Holy Spirit, of of the attributes of the Holy Spirit. And it says uh, there in Isaiah 11, verses one through three, it says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So that was speaking of the Messiah. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding and of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Notice it didn't say theatrics, weirdness. In other words, these are the things that manifested the Holy Spirit upon the Lord and also when the holy spirit is upon someone this the spirit of wisdom and understanding and counsel and might the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the lord and his delight shall be in the fear of the lord in the fear of the lord that means there's humility his delight is in the fear of the lord humility a fruit of the spirit and this is what nebuchadnezzar saw in daniel And this guy has got incredible wisdom and might and strength and power. In his circumstances, he's a counselor. I mean, this is just above the fray. Where is this coming from? He's got the Spirit of God within him. That's what's going on. And how this world needs men and women who don't have everything all together necessarily academically. That's not, if you go down, it's great. But we need men and women who are humbly walking in the Spirit. Romans 8, people. Galatians chapter 5, latter half, people. Latter half of chapter 5. Not the fruit of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit. And people are walking in, in just loving obedience to the Lord. There's a power, there's a grace in their life, there's an influence, there's something that affects the world. You see, what, the thing about the church is that's is, is, that grieves my heart and that is a tendency to go towards is to think that we can substitute the power of God with lights and with loud bands and fog machines and, 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 spirit and, and kind of an emotional experience somehow if we can just muster you up into some kind of feeling that that equates to the power of God. Now let me tell you, that when people are walking in the Spirit, they definitely do have feelings. (laughs) There's a lot of love going on. There's a lot of emotion and power, and all those things happen, but we're not ruled by them. And I'm not against lights. You need to see, I was thinking about, we need lights here for the camera at home, all things like that. But it's not the show part of it. It, It's, you know, forget all this. Are you walking with the Lord? Do Do you hear His voice? Are you walking in obedience to what He says? And, man, he's going to bless you and he's going to empower you in the things he called you to do, whatever stage that's in uh, or on. Daniel was with kings. I'm not going to be with kings. We're going to be where we are. But just to walk humbly before the Lord and let him use you and let the world see as you are hanging out that you don't have the world's wisdom, you have his wisdom. You have his counsel, you have his knowledge, you have his power girding you. You have his might. You're able to withstand the storms of the world and this life because he is in you. Amen. Nebuchadnezzar, this pagan king, he saw that power manifested in Daniel. And it was Daniel who could give the interpretation. It was Daniel who had the answers because he knew the Lord. And May the world come to the Lord for answers because he's the one who has them. You know, God uses people who are walking in the spirit. Read Romans 8, read Galatians 5 and other places. And so the king gives Daniel the vision there. The vision of of my head as I lay, verse 10, on the bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great and the tree grew and became strong and its top reached to the heaven. It It was visible to the ends of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and it was food for all. And the beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the air lived in its branches, and all the flesh was fed from it. Verse 13, And I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in the bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, that would be an angel, came down from heaven. And he proclaimed aloud, uh, aloud and said, Thus, chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip it of its leaves and scatter its fruit, lest the uh, let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, amid the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with dew of the heaven. Crazy, like, king dream stuff going on here. But notice there in verse 15, it says, let him be wet with dew the dew of heaven. The tree is a what? It's a person. Verse 15, and let his portion be with the beast in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let that the beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him, seven years. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers. The decision is by the word of the holy ones. To the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets it over the lowliest of men. Underline that verse, 17. Verse 18, this dream I, Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of the king' kingdom are not able to make known the interpretation, but again, you are able, why? For the spirit of the holy God is in you. So the king has this dream of a giant tree. You can see it from everywhere. Everything comes underneath it, it and, and feeds off it. And then an angel comes and says to chop it down, but don't you know scatter its fruit, strip its leaves, do all this stuff, chop it down, but leave the stump and put a, a, a fence around it. It'll protect that stump basically. And we see that this is a person and that person was now sentenced not only to live um, like but also share the mind of an animal it's weird for a period of seven years and the reason for this person to be cut down and stripped down to great humility and be caused to give in a mind of a beast is so that all would know that it's God who sets up kingdoms and puts them down, that God's sovereign. And again, that's verse 17. And then Daniel, verse 19, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. It's at this point the king, after he says, hey, give me the interpretation, the king can see that Daniel knows, and Daniel's nervous. He's really nervous because he knows what he has to say to the king is difficult. And so the king sees Daniel's dismay, and the king answered him and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you, Belshazzar answered and said, my lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. You know, Daniel seems to have had compassion on this king. He had to tell him the bad news of the judgment that was coming, but in it, he was not prideful at all. He seemed to have compassion On him, much the same way that we are when we have to deliver the gospel to the world around us, that there's bad news associated with the good news, that judgment is coming. How many of us just want to avoid all the difficult talk of the judgment of God and just kind of leave it up to, hey, Jesus loves you, he's going to save you? From what? It's not very good news if there's no bad news to go with it. This is the thing, is that Daniel didn't back away from the difficult news, but when he didn't, he wasn't arrogant about it. He was he was humble, and he was compassionate in doing it. Maybe we'd be the same. Truth and love, church. The king says, don't worry, just tell me. Verse 20, let's just read these. And the tree you saw which grew, and so he gives this interpretation. The tree you saw which grew and became strong so that it, it's top reached to the heaven it was visible to the ends of the whole earth whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit was abundant in which food was for all under which the beasts of the fields found shade and in whose branches the birds of the heaven lived verse 22 it is you O king who have grown and become strong the tree was the king how difficult it must have been for Daniel to speak the truth that wasn't pleasant to the king's ears don't back away from speaking the truth church it's necessary do it with humility and compassion speak the truth daniel didn't back down Your greatness has grown and reached to the heavens, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. Verse 23. And because the king saw, because the king saw a watcher, a holy one—that's an angel—coming down from heaven, saying, "Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump and its band of roots on earth, uh, bound with a band of iron and bronze. That is—that's a fence around the stump in the tender grass of the field, and let." him be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over. This is the interpretation, O King. It is a decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord the King that you shall be driven from among men. And you and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox or herbage like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, seven years, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. God decreed that Nebuchadnezzar would lose his kingdom, lose his dominion, power, and authority, lose his mind... And go out and wander in the fields. I mean, it's as if the president of the United States just, you know, they just lose their mind and they just, all of a sudden they're out like in some field somewhere eating grass, acting like an animal. Someone with so much power, so much authority, they just lose their mind and they're all of a sudden they're out in the field. Be quiet, everybody. It can happen to any of us, right? But the purpose, the king of kings on earth, the, the purpose of this whole thing was that the kings of kings on earth, the king of kings on earth had replaced himself, had put himself in the place of God. And God was showing him and everyone else around him, you have no control. Ultimately, I am in charge. He was going to be outdoors eating grass for seven years. The king of kings of the earth, who exalted himself in the place of God, was humbled at the position of an animal, the lowest of what was described in his dominion. He went from the, basically from, the palace to the pastor, right? And it was so that he would know that the most high rules, church, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He knows how to humble us. Sometimes he does it through difficulty. How many of you have lost relationships, jobs, families, finances, health, your mind? And these circumstances cause us to lose all bearing on all our security even within ourselves sometimes but it is a tremendous opportunity if we allow our pride to subside instead of looking around and looking in that we would look up god in his grace not saying all this is because of sin individual sin but god in his grace sometimes allows sin to have immediate consequences so that we would begin to wake up and look up. And while we are wallowing in our field for a season, God is there and he's calling to us and he's speaking to us. Nebuchadnezzar was made humble so that he would know that the most high rules, the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. Let's get through these verses here. Verse 26. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you or kept for you from the time that you know that the heavens roll; will be given back to you. God was merciful to Nebuchadnezzar in his judgment. He said, listen, after that seven-year period, when you finally recognize, I'm going to give it all back to you. Now, the point is, is that just doesn't happen. You're not at the chief uh, king of the earth, lose everything, lose your mind. Could you imagine what a power grab was going on at that moment? Loses his mind. He's out in the fields for seven years and somehow that gets back. That just doesn't happen. That's God's point. In all this, God wanted to know Nebuchadnezzar to know that he was in control. Nebuchadnezzar was prideful, he thought he was the reason. He was in his rule, and God was going to turn him into an animal, eating grass for seven years, losing his mind, and then put him right back in power to show him that heaven rules. Church, it's the same today. We look so much, I think, often at our leaders, and they're there for a reason. We're to be submitted to them, not at the expense of obedience to God. But we look so much at our leaders to being the answer to everything that's going on that in them is is just the hope of, of humanity and if your person doesn't get in it's like oh no yes there are consequences and things do happen we get that but we look to them instead of looking beyond to the one who is actually in control the one who actually is orchestrating everything and sadly pride in powers of position hasn't changed much in 2,600 years, but here's the message that Daniel gives to the king after he delivers him what his his dream means, and this is the same message to our leaders today and, and leaders to come all over the world. Here's the message, verse 27, therefore, because all this is going to come upon you, king, because judgment's going to come upon you, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Notice Daniel speaking in great humility to the king. He's not boastful or proud. He says to him this, Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. That there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. That's the message. What's a one-word message for what Daniel just said? Repent. How? How is he to repent? Turn from your sin, start doing the right thing, and let it be manifested to the people around you. For the king to repent, it was to stop sin. It means stop doing evil and we've already seen how brutal this man could be stop being evil stop instituting policies that are against the character of god but it's not just stop how do you know that there's been a change how do you know that you're submitted to god because there's been a start start acting righteousness you replace evil with good with things that honor god righteousness and it's shown over a period of time and practically by the people that surround you the king was to enact policies that are in line with God, which is the righteous things, and then be merciful towards the oppressed. And his poor, King Nebuchadnezzar was brutal. And that needed a change. He was, If he was humbled before God, it would show in his policies and his practice. You know, our, uh, we were in an elder meeting just the other night, and Brother Gary, he was, uh, Gary Benefield, he was, reminding us of what repentance looks like in in some way. And he was quoting Colossians 3 that speaks about putting to death the earthly uh, things within us and putting on the spiritual things that is put in on Christ. In other words, if you've come to Christ, there's going to be a difference in that you've turned from sin in faith, obviously, and you've turned towards righteousness. It's going to be evident. It's not just that we stop doing bad things. It's that we are now following the Lord, and he fills us with what to do, which is righteousness. For an example, you are a thief? Stop stealing. Okay, great, I've stopped stealing. But what do you do? Get a job. Why? So that you can not only take care of yourself, so stop being a taker and start being a what? A giver. Now you go give to those who don't have. You see, that's how you know someone has... Met the Lord Jesus, they've been changed. They turn from sin, they start practicing righteousness, and it's shown in their relationships to others. Not perfectly, obviously, but there's ongoing fruit. But after all this, I just want to skip ahead because we need to get to the end. Nebuchadnezzar, after all this, he still didn't listen after God revealed all these things, he said that judgment is coming, he still didn't listen. Third time, verse 28, and all this came upon Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months. He was walking on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, is is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? How many of you sat on top of your remodeled houses and talk like this? Hopefully not anybody. It's about me, and look at all I've done in my majesty. Twelve months later, one year later, that's how long it took him to get back on his throne. He went back to number one. He was looking at the marvel at all he'd done, and we'll get back. We'll get, I'm going I'm to skip all over the details, but... Man, the amazing city of Babylon, 350 foot high wall, 85 feet thick, they had like a highway going around the top, hanging gardens, 400 foot mountain in the middle with hanging gardens that were air conditioned for his wife and all this kind of stuff. I mean, just crazy stuff. He's sitting there and just going, look how awesome I am. And while the words, verse 31, were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from me and you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field and you shall be made an ox to eat like grass, a uh, grass like ox and seven periods of time he shall pass over you until you know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar and he was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox and his body was wet with dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. So from the palace to the pasture, and at the end of days, here's Nebuchadnezzar, he he wraps it up and lets everybody knows. This is him writing this. At the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. The restoration came when he lifted his eyes. Some of us have been wandering around like oxes. Lift your eyes to the Lord. He's merciful. Look up. Nebuchadnezzar looked up from his wandering to heaven and his reason returned. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him who lives forever. Why? For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as what? Nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven, among the angels, and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Nebuchadnezzar finally, finally got it. I believe Nebuchadnezzar was saved that day. I think we're going to see him. I can't wait to, to to chat with, you know, get in line, but chat, chat with him. But this prideful, brutal dictator came to the knowledge of God. God is relentless. God is merciful. And God restored his kingdom to him after all that. Can you imagine that? Why? Because God can. (laughs) That's his point. Verse 36, At The same time my reason returned to me and for the glory of God my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Why is he saying me? It's not a selfish thing. He's emphasizing the me. In other words, I was so lost, so gone, so far, and there's no way that any of these things would return to me unless God did it. That's his point. Now I and Nebuchadnezzar, verse 37, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Church, there's a day of humbling coming. There's one day that's coming where it says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is what? Lord, sovereign. And neither that willfully comes now on your heart as we, my heart as we bow before the Lord Jesus, or it will come forcibly on that day. And this is the gospel, church. This is the gospel that the king who sits on that throne sent his son, born in a manger, in great humility, didn't even have a house while he was ministering died the death of a sinner on a cross for your sins for my sins that whoever would believe upon him would have everlasting life and when we receive jesus as lord this is the thing is that it puts us in right relationship with god again we're out of order this world is out of order the authority is all messed up have you looked at our culture lately this is what sin does And when a person comes to the Lord Jesus, and you see this teaching through the New Testament, we're taught that he is Lord. And then we honor our mothers and fathers. Children, obey your parents. Slaves, obey your masters. Submit to your earthly authorities. Why? Because all authority is from God. We walk humbly. That's how you know someone's been changed. Might not like it. Come, Lord Jesus, amen? But until then... We know who's on the throne. And whatever king is set up or not set up, we know who put him there. And we're going to trust him. We're going to honor him. And we're going to submit ourselves to that authority, not in doing evil, but in honoring God. And we're going to pray for them and respect them and care for them and preach the gospel to them, whoever it might be, that we would be witnesses of his authority and his power in the kingdom that is actually going to come and exist and outlast all of this, of whom we will be a part of and we will stand in and we will live in, not because we are prideful now, but because we humbled ourselves now, because we've lost our lives now, we lose our lives now, we live later. You keep your life now, you lose it then. Jesus came to bring us the upside-down kingdom. And so the way up is down. That's the way it is. Corinthians 1, think about you when yourselves when you're called. Not many noble. Not many of all these pedigrees. Why? Because those are associated with pride. But God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. May you be found humble in the sight of the Lord. May we be a humble people before God. May the fruit of the Spirit be in us as we just humbly submit to our Lord. So, God is on the throne, church. Trust him. Amen? Trust him. We have an awesome opportunity to be witnesses for Christ. Amen? Lord God, we want to thank you again, God, for being so merciful. I know this was a long chapter for us to read all at once, but the lengths you go to in a person's life to show them your Lord, and they're not, but in that, that they would find mercy and life and position and sonship. Lord, you, you lift up the humble, but you push down the proud. That's the way your kingdom works. And so Lord, may we be poor in spirit before you, knowing our place, and also knowing that in Christ, we've been raised up with him, seated in the highest places. Amazing things to learn and focus on in these times. Lord, bless our country, be merciful to us, God, in our sin, forgive us, God, and we ask, Lord, that you would bless our leaders, our kings and authorities, so to speak, from the highest of the land to to the local governments, Lord, to our own households, our parents, and we pray that you would cause us to learn humility and submission and that we would be those who would trust in you until that day we see you face to face and you set up your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.